You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Pray with me as we spend some time in God's Word in celebration of Easter, celebration of the Gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in Christ and through faith in Christ we can approach you with both freedom and confidence. Lord, I pray that we would today experience, all of us in this room, some new, fresh taste of that freedom and confidence that as we talk about the the great mercy and love of God expressed to us in Christ, that we would be amazed. Amazed not in ourselves or our situation or what it's even changed in our lives, but amazed in you. Amazed in the awesomeness of your grace, the generosity of your grace, the bigness of your grace, and the eternal benefits that we receive because of it. We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are here with us, working in us, working through us, and Lord, we, do, we spend time in your words that we can hear from you, each of us as individuals, as families, as a church, so that we may know how awesome you are. We thank you in your precious and glorious name. Amen. A couple of years ago, we had some friends from New York come out and visit us. They had never been to the West Coast, and particularly never, and to Portland, obviously, since they've never been to the West Coast. And we wanted to show them the good time and, you know, the flavor of Portland. And, but unfortunately, it was in the fall, and it was overcast the entire week they were here, which is the flavor of Portland they needed to know. But, but we, we kept saying to them, we kept pointing to the east, we wanted them to see the grandeur of Mount Hood. And we kept pointing to the east and saying, there's a mountain right there. And they kept saying, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And, and throughout the week, it became kind of a running joke that whether we were driving or eating or doing something, we would stop and point and say, hey, there's a mountain right there. And their response was always the same. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And, and uh, so we went throughout the week, and they never saw Mount Hood. The last day before they left, we did the uh, go up to Columbia Gorge thing, okay? So they had to do that, okay? So we went up the gorge, we went to Multnomah Falls, we had lunch at Hood River, we went across to White Salmon up on the ridge, and we looked down and said, hey, if you, if you park here, you can look down the gorge and see, well, there's a mountain right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And so we get down and we go down 14 and we go up 14 heading to Vancouver. Uh, we make the obligatory stop at um, Pendleton's, uh, and then we start getting, heading towards Vancouver to come across the 205 bridge. And all of a sudden, the wife gasps <gasps> and says, pull over, pull over. And, and I thought that I had either hit something or she saw something. So I, I pull over and I, what's the matter? And she says, there's a mountain right there. <laughs> and, and they get out of the car and dodge traffic and they're taking pictures of this mountain. It doesn't move, but they've taken a dozen pictures of this mountain. And they were just amazed, as most of us have been at one time, at the beauty and the grandeur of Mount Hood. Sometimes we uh, don't see things because they're hidden from us. Sometimes we don't see things because we're not looking. 
Sometimes we don't see things because they're so familiar to us that we actually ignore it. What is true about mountains is also true about the gospel. Jesus' death and resurrection? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Ancient history. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah. The good news? Well, that's old news. Unfortunately, we have sometimes lost the amazement of the gospel. The gospel, whether we see it for the first time or every time we see it, it should take our breath away and we should say, wow, that is amazing. To be amazed is to be overwhelmed with wonder, to be astonished greatly. Are we amazed at the gospel? We should be. The gospel, a familiar word for most, many of us, a familiar word even in our culture. But what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is an announcement of good news. That God created us in his image, and he designed us to reflect his character and to be in unashamed relationship with him and other people. However, we chose not only to ignore God, but to actually rebel against him. And in our self-centeredness, we dishonor God by preferring other things over him and then acting on those preferences. As a consequence, not only are our lives dominated by the alienation and corruption of sin, but we deserve God's just punishment for our sins. But God, but God, even with our ongoing rejection of him, has not left us in a state of condemnation or misery. The announcement of the gospel is that because God's great love and mercy has sent Jesus to be one of us so he can become part of our humanity and also to identify with our sin. Jesus lived in perfect submission and obedience to the Father, culminating in his intentional and willing death on the cross. Not as an act of a martyr, not as an accident, not as something out of control, but willingly dying as a sacrifice for our sin not for his own. By by the immeasurable greatness of his power, the Bible tells us, God rose Jesus from the dead and brought Jesus into his presence. In the death of Jesus, justice has been satisfied because of our sin. And also, the righteousness was provided to us because of his death. By raising Jesus from the dead, God declared his satisfaction and approval of the payment Jesus made on our behalf because of our sin, and he gave us his righteousness. To to put it more succinctly, Jesus lived a life that we should live. Jesus died the death that we deserve. Jesus rose from the dead to give us a gift that we can never obtain on our own. That is the message, the announcement of the good news of the gospel. And this good news of the gospel is the theme, the central theme of the entire Bible. And in some places, authors of the Bible are so fascinated with that message in in a condensed form that they summarize it for us. And today we're going to look at one of those places. Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 2, in 10 verses, gives a great summary of the gospel. So will you stand with me as we read the word of God? It will be up on your screen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 
Hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, found the course of this world, found the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. You may be seated. In this gospel presentation, gospel summary, Paul gives us a big parameters and summary of the gospel. I just want to focus on three things that we can take away from this passage today. We should, and that is basically this, is that we should be amazed at God's mercy and grace because in the gospel, he has provided three things for us. We should be amazed at his mercy and grace Because he has provided in the gospel three things for us. Life instead of death. Freedom instead of bondage. Kindness instead of judgment. We should be amazed at God's mercy and his love because in the gospel he has provided for us life instead of death. Where do we see this? Well, we see it right start out the beginning in verse 1 where he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked or lived. We are dead in our sins. Uh, sin is not simply breaking some rules, as we often think of sin. But in God's eyes, a great definition I heard of sin is one I use often is sin is dishonoring God by preferring other things over him and then acting on those preferences. That's what we do when we sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we earn, what we deserve when we sin is death, spiritual death, physical death and even eternal death. Now this dead language, this use of dead for people who are actually living, they're people who walked around, they're living, but they were really dead. What, what does Paul mean by that? Well, there's two meanings of that, two aspects of that that he, I think he's trying to bring out. One is that, um, that spirit, somebody who is dead spiritually is unable to function or to respond. If you're dead, you're unable to function or respond. Both my... Uh, both both. All four of my grandparents have passed away. The first one was my, my grandfather on my mother's side. And uh, I was about 14, and we went to the funeral, and they had an open casket, and his body was lying there. And during the, um, after, the fun- after the service, uh, I went up with my grandmother to, to see the, my grandfather in the coffin. And, and I was startled because she reached over and grabbed his hand and started to pat his hand. I, I'm kind of getting a little freaked out. Can she do that? Can you touch dead bodies? And apparently you can, by the way, okay? And she was talking to him and having a conversation. And the more she talked, the more freaked I got, kind of got. Not that she was touching him, but what happens if he answers? <laughs> what, did, what was my grandfather's response? Nothing. He was dead. 
A dead person is unable to respond no matter how much love they get from somebody else. The second aspect of dead that Paul wants to do is something that Jesus talked a lot about. He talked about people who were alive being dead. Jesus talked about people who were, had their act together. People who were, really thought they, had, they could strut their stuff and, and that God would accept them because of, you know, they're so, so good. And Jesus says this about them. He says, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. That's what Jesus thought of those self-righteous people who thought they had their act there. Oh, on the outside, you look great. But inside? And he wants us to think about what's inside a tomb. It's, it's dead bones and uncleanness. He, imagine if you had to open a tomb, what, what would you experience as you went into a tomb that had been closed for a while? You would experience decay. Imagine the stench, the grossness. And that's what Jesus says when we're dead in our sins... That's the way we are. We are dead in sin, but God, but God, because of his mercy and love, made us alive together with Christ. Where do we see this? We see this in verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass and sin, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. What's God's motivation to be generous to us, to save us, to give us the gift of salvation. What's his motivation according to this passage? It's, it's very clear. It's because, it, it, it's because of his grace and his mercy and his love for us. Is it because we're so valuable? Is it because we're so special? Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. Is it because we deserve it? In fact, the passage says we exactly deserve the other. He gives it to us even when we are dead in our trespasses. That's how God shows us his love. No, it's because of his great mercy. It says he's rich in mercy. He's extremely wealthy in mercy. God will never run out of mercy. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news because I need it frequently. Amen. And, and, and he's not going to be stingy or frugal with mercy because he's rich in mercy. And God says he's great in love. He's, he's not begrudging in his love. He's not reluctant to give love. In Portland, we have mountains that are popular landmarks. We have Mount Hood, and we have Mount Tabor, right? We, we sometimes, I think, satisfied going to Mount Tabor. It's only 663 feet high. And we drive up there, and it has a great view, and we go, oh, this is awesome. And sometimes that's what we think of God's love. Well, this is pretty good. We get up here. It's easy. We can do this. All the time, what God wants for us in his love is Mount Hood. It's over 11,000 feet tall. But we settle for the love of Mount Tabor. And even though he's offering us and he wants to express to us the amount of love that's in Mount Hood. He made us alive together with Christ. We're made alive. What was once dead has been resurrected. That's us. We, the language of new creation is a new birth. Monica and I have four children. And, and uh, I remember very vividly the birth of, of, of them. And I remember holding them each. In, uh, when they were born. And, and, and I have to say, especially Selena, because it's the first one, okay? And I was just a kid, okay? I was a kid with all four of them, but I was just a kid, especially with her. And, and I remember holding her, the nurse hold, hold, hands her to me, and I remember holding her for the first time. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This, this is a person. We, we did this. We, we made a person. It was, it was truly amazing, the, the, the second thing I thought of as I walked over to Monica with her is this, and all this fit in you how? 
It really is amazing how all that fits inside. Sorry, ladies, okay? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about it, okay? Good imagination, Royce, okay? But it is amazing, isn't it, that that comes out of us? That's being made alive. It's being made alive. And being made alive is a miracle. The miracle of the resurrection is the miracle of new birth. It's the miracle of us coming alive. It doesn't happen and that's its own. And just like death brings decay and grossness and stench, being alive brings the opposite. It brings growth. It brings energy. It brings beauty. Those are the things we think of. When, God, when we are dead in our sin, but God, because of his mercy and grace, made us alive, this is amazing. But we should also be amazed at something else. We should be amazed in God's mercy and love because, of his, because in the gospel he has provided for us not only life instead of death, but also freedom instead of bondage. Where do we get this? Verses 2 and 3, he describes the state. Following the course of this world, we live. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. He says we are in bondage to the evil powers. They direct us. They control us. The world thinks they're free. They think they're autonomous. And the Bible says that's a lie. That's a deception. It's a deception of the world. It's a deception of the devil. And it's a deception of our own selves, our own sin. The course of the world is the flow of our culture that functions as if God doesn't exist and sometimes even against God and rebellion against him outright. The prince of the power of the air is Satan and the demonic spirits. Enemies of God who, whose language is lies and deception that we fall for. The passions of the flesh is our own selfishness, our own self-serving desires. And these are the same evil powers that try to convince us that our sin and the bondage that we're in is no big deal. It's really no big deal. Everybody's in the same boat. It's no big deal. And when it does become a big deal... They, they, they try to tell us, well, the answer is, if you're struggling, is to do more, be better, try harder. That's the answer if you're going to do this. And this is the mantra of the world. This is the mantra of our culture. This is the mantra of other religions. This is the, the mantra of Satan and even our own selfish passions. They could have the same slogan as, slogan as Home Depot. What's Home Depot's slogan? You can do it, we can help. You can do it, we can help. That's a lie. That's not the gospel. You can't do it, and you can't help. That's not the gospel. But yet we live in that culture that keeps saying that to us. I was, in my, before I came Christ, I, be, I was very, very frustrated, and the frustration in me grew and grew and as I became more aware of my guilt and my struggle with sin in my life, and I kept re, re, just reaching, okay, I'm gonna, I can do this, I can do this, I just have to try harder, I just have to try harder. And, and I, the harder I tried, the more frustrated I got. Anybody else ever been there? Yeah. And, and, and then I read something, and it's just like the light bulb goes on, thank you, Holy Spirit, the light bulb goes on, and the author is saying, trying to stop the sin is like trying to get in a stream of water and holding back the water. And I said, that's exactly how I feel. I'm trying to hold back a river, and that's how I'm trying to stop my sin. It doesn't work. And God knows it doesn't work. We can't hold, hold it back. We were in bondage to evil powers of this world, but God, but God, because of his mercy and love, has given us freedom 
by raising us with Christ. We see this in verses 4, 6, and 10. 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, what? Verse 6, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And then he talks about a few things, and then in verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have been given freedom in, in Christ instead of bondage. And in Paul's mind, our new life, the verbiage here, the way he writes it, our new life is a down payment that guarantees our future life in heaven. But it's so real to Paul and so now for Paul, he speaks of it as if it's a done deal. So he speaks of it as if we are now raised with Christ. That's how real it is to him. In fact, earlier in Ephesians 1, we see how Paul prayed that they would, their eyes or their hearts would be enlightened. They would see something. And he lists a couple things. But one of those things was that they would see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power t- for us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in the, in the, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's saying that this power is so tremendous. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is the power that's at work in our life now. Paul wasn't trying to say, God, help them experience this power, say that this power is true for you. It already is. What he wanted them to see, God, help them to see what is already true for them. That they are already free. They're already broken free from those, all those bondages. It's already true. They're already risen from them. Instead of, instead of being in destructive bondage and misery, we are called to be and equipped to be in constructive freedom. He uses that we're workmen. We're workmen. Excuse me. We're his workmanship. He's the workman. We're his workmanship. And we talked about that. It's like it's the, we're, we are, that's our identity. God is working in us. It's like an artist creates a picture, a pottery, a picture, or something like that. And we look at it and we go, wow, that's a great piece of art. But what we really are saying is, wow, that's a great artist. And it's like listening, to, reading a literature or a poem and saying, oh, this, this really moves me. It really touches me. But it's not because the ink on the paper is magic. It's because the author touched me and spoke to me. And that's what we are as God's workmanship. Is he's working in us now. He's given us freedom. He's given us a calling. He's equipping us to do what he's designed us to do. He, we then go, people see our lives. We see our lives. We see the change. And we are say, hey, you know what? God is awesome. God is amazing. It's not me. It's him. It's his freedom. By the way, the name Red Sea to this church, besides being cool, which it is, and there's not very many of us, the reason we named it Red Sea, actually I didn't participate in that. Sean did. The reason Sean named this Red Sea, it's a metaphor for the gospel. It's a metaphor. It's a word picture of the gospel of the, in the Exodus that God miraculously saved Israel, rescued them out of the bondage of slavery, and was taking them into the promised land. It's that imagery of being released from bondage and going to the promised land that Red Sea is about. That's why we have the name Red Sea. We are in bondage to evil powers of this world, but God, because of his love and mercy, has given us freedom by raising us in Christ. That is amazing. But third... We should be amazed at God's love and mercy because he, in the gospel he provided life instead of death, freedom instead of bondage, and kindness instead of judgment. Kindness instead of judgment. Where do we see this? Well, the judgment comes to us in, in verse 3. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Like everybody in the world, we deserve God's wrath. God's wrath is his righteous judgment and punishment for sin. It's an expression of justice. His wrath is an expression of justice. And we all have within us, innately, 
a sense of justice because we're created in his image. That's part of being created in the image of God, the sense of judgment. But an integral part of justice is judgment. You can't have justice without judgment. And you, you're not sure you agree with me on that one? Okay. Then what, are you, what is your response when somebody harms you? When, when somebody harms you, 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 whatever it would be a bad thing that they do to you, verbally, physically, emotionally, sexually, whatever they, whatever they would do to harm you, what's your response? Our response for everybody is, you know what? Besides the pain, somebody has to pay. They have to pay for what they did to me. And we, we want, in fact, we often demand retaliation and restitution. They have to pay. Why? Because being made in the image of God is a sense of justice within inside us. A sense of justice, and an integral part of justice is judgment. In, in our culture, it's popular to talk about justice and social justice, and we should. We should. We should help right the wrongs that are in our culture, and that's why we have Community of Hope, and we're part of Compassion Connect, and those kind of things. We should be involved with that. But many people feel, when they talk about justice, they think about this, they would say something like, if there's a God, why doesn't he do something about the evil in the world? War, famine, sickness, poverty, crime, violence, corporate greed, sex trafficking, you fill in the blank. Why doesn't God do something about that? Well, here's the thing to remember. If we expect God to judge the evil in the world, then we also have to expect God to judge the evil in us because we're part of the world. Justice requires judgment. Social justice requires personal justice. You can't have one without the other. And God, the word says, we are condemned. God's wrath was pointed at us. But then it says, but God, being rich in mercy and because of his love, promise to continually show us his kindness in Christ. Isn't that amazing? He, he says in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us made us alive with Christ so that in the coming ages, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. He promised kindness. Do not confuse kindness with being nice, with being polite, with, with being agreeable or pleasant. That's not kindness. Kindness is actively doing good for the benefit of another person, whether or not they deserve it. Where, where do we get this kind of definition of kindness? Well, from Jesus. Jesus gives us some commands, and he tells us about kindness. For example, he says, Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, implying that some people don't want to hear this, by the way, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Really? Seriously? Anybody else find that a little outrageous? Does anybody else find it? Maybe, and maybe not outrageous, maybe just, you know, maybe a little unreasonable. I mean, is Jesus like just throwing the hyperbole out there so that we get the message? Why, why can Jesus say that we are to love our enemies and do good to those who harm us? Really? Why? A few verses later, he explains why. He says, because, he says, because the Most High God, interesting, Jesus didn't say the Father. 
He calls God the most high God, the ultimate God of the universe, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. The most high God is kind to, who is he kind to? The ungrateful and the evil. That's why Jesus can say, I want you to act that way because that's the way God treats you. In kindness, when you don't deserve it and you're not even grateful for it. Try, try this experiment. You want to get a little into understanding the kindness of God. Try this experiment. Think about somebody you hate. You despise. Don't look around the room, okay? You hate and despise. I mean, really, we have them. Don't lie. We have them. And then try to do some things, very specific things, acts of kindness that benefit them clearly. See how hard that is to do. And if they, whether or not they appreciate it, acknowledge it, do it again. And if they lash back at you and, and retaliate and are ungrateful and hurt you even more, do it again. That's hard to do. But that's how God treats us. That's the kindness which he has promised for the coming ages to continually show us, both now and for eternity, we're going to be going, wow, isn't God kind to us when we don't deserve it, when we're ungrateful and we're evil? We were deserving God's judgment, but God, because of his mercy and grace, his mercy and love, promised to continually show us kindness in Christ. That is amazing. We, sh- we should be amazed at these things. Life instead of death, freedom instead of bondage, kindness instead of judgment, How do we benefit from this life, freedom, and bondage? Well, he tells us there's only one way, and that's through faith. Look at the verses 8 and 9. He says this in 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Saved is one of those religious words. Saved. What does it mean to be saved? Saved is an expression that expresses the idea of rescue. We are rescued from the jeopardy and misery and into a state of safety and peace. That's what it means to be saved. And through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, he's provided us the only means by which we are to be rescued. The only means we are to be rescued from death to life. The only way we are rescued from bondage to freedom. The only way we are rescued from judgment and receive kindness is through faith in the grace of God. All the work is done by God in Christ. All of it. Paul says... There's no way we get to boast about anything. It's a gift that must be received. Salvation is for us, but it's not about us. Salvation is for us, but it's not about us. He tells us what it's about. When he describes the misery and the bondage we have in sin, he goes in verse 4, but God, because of his, because being rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's about God, not about us. We are the beneficiaries, but he is the great and merciful and loving benefactor. That is amazing. And what is the response to that? Paul tells us, so, okay, I hear this. I, I see the mountain. I see God's grace. I see God. What am I supposed to do? He says, we are to, we are to respond through faith. 
We're saved by grace, that's the means, but we're saved through faith. We believe in what God has said is true. Faith is a confident trust that what is true isn't just true factually and historically, which it is, but it's true for me. I reach hold and I grab it and say, I want a part of that. I know that's true for me. We can be amazed at Mount Hood from a distance, but we can't be amazed at the gospel from a distance. Amazement in the gospel is expressed through faith in Christ. It's responding in repentance and faith and believing him. Paul wrote to the Romans, he says this, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart one believes and is justified and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. So if you have never responded to the awesomeness of the mercy and love of God, I encourage you to do that. Put your trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ. And to do something else, too. Talk to somebody about it. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, not just stand up in front of a church and confess, which that may or may not be a part of it, but talk to somebody. Tell them what you're thinking. Tell them what you're feeling. You want to talk to me. You want to talk to Josh, a home community leader, a family member. Talk to somebody. It's not just saying a prayer. There's nothing wrong with saying a prayer. But it is responding in repentance and faith and saying, I want to talk about what God is doing. I want to confess with the mouth that God is amazing. I might not understand it all, and you don't, but it's through talking that you get to. And if you're unsure, you, I, I'm not sure I get this, then I recommend that you read these 10 verses over and over again. Just read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, over and over, and ask God to give you the light of the glory of Christ in these verses. Also, if you want more resources, our Red sea, the Red Sea website, just go there and say we'll have things for you that you can learn more about the gospel. We should be amazed at God's mercy and love because the gospel provides us life instead of death, freedom instead of bondage, kindness instead of judgment. But this is not simply an Easter message. This, this is not an Easter message by itself, though it is for Easter. This is the heart of our message at Red Sea every week. We, at least we want it to be. It's heart of our ministry, heart of the mission of us as a church and as families. We take communion every week to celebrate Christ's death. And there's multiple aspects of that death. And and today, as you take communion, if you're a Christian, if you responded in faith to Christ, I encourage you to come up to the tables and a little later when we start singing and and take communion. Because it's in it that we, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. And today, specifically, I want to remind you of how amazing God's love and mercy is for you. Remembering that you have life instead of death, that you have freedom instead of bondage, and that you have kindness instead of judgment. You know the song Amazing Grace? Well, you're going to in a minute because we're going to sing it in a few minutes. (laughs) So I hope you do. It's been a long, a long time. Speaks a lot of gospel truth. Some misguided churches feel that it's too negative, that, that um, it makes people feel bad. So they rewrote Amazing Grace because they wanted to be more positive and uplifting. So, for example, they rewrote the first line. Instead of being Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, they rewrote it. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a soul like mine. Well, I have two serious problems with that. One, it's not biblical. should stop there. But even more importantly, it's not amazing that God saved my soul. 
It's amazing that God saved a wretch like me. It's amazing that I was blind, but now I see. It is amazing that I had changed, are gone, and now I am set free. It's amazing that I was dead, but now I'm alive. It's amazing that I deserve the wrath of God, but now for eternity I receive his kindness. It's amazing that I am saved by grace through faith, and this is not of myself. It is solely the gift of God. That is amazing grace. That is the amazing gospel that we proclaim and then we we, we encourage each other with. That is the amazing God. That is the amazing love and mercy that we celebrate, not just on Easter, but with our very lives. Are you amazed in God? Let's pray. Most high God, who is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Lord, we thank you for your generosity to us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you're out of your abundance of mercy and your abundance of grace and love that you have brought us to yourselves, that you have provided for us In many, many ways. Lord, we thank you that you provided for us life instead of death. You provided for us freedom instead of bondage and kindness instead of judgment. Lord, we want to celebrate the amazingness of who you are. And Lord, whether we are have never responded to the amazing gospel or we have been doing so for decades, I pray that you would increase our amazement, increase our delight in you. May we honor you, Lord, and not prefer anything else other than you, and may our actions demonstrate that because you are changing our hearts, changing our minds. You have made us alive. We can exercise our freedom and be sure and confident of your kindness to us. We thank you, Lord, for your precious and glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.